Today's reading comes from Galatians 6, or 1, verses 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one who preached you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The word of the Lord. All right, good morning, guys. Welcome to Trailhead Church. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here, and um, we're going to be continuing our, our series through Galatians. We kicked it off last week. Before we dig in, I want to hit a couple things real quick. First of all, I am wearing one of our new Trailhead students' T-shirts. This is the grand unveiling. Uh, isn't it cool? Yes. Yes, over the last couple of years, we've really invested um, leadership energy into developing our family ministries, and that included relaunching um, Trailhead Students, which is our, our ministry for high school students. It also means we're getting ready to launch Trailhead Youth, which is our middle school ministry. Um, we're trying to become more robust in our support and ministry to families. Now, um, I want to enlist your support. Um, our, uh, our, our Trailhead Students the high school students, are going to New York this summer um, on a mission trip. They're going to be going and serving in a church in New York, and um, they will be like neck deep in city ministry. It's going to be awesome. But they have to, obviously have to raise quite a bit of money to make this happen, and so we're going to help them out a little bit. We are doing a fundraiser this Saturday uh, to help them raise money, and, and, and essentially we're just going to throw a big party and you get to have fun, right? It's going to be a trivia night. And so those of you who are trivia buffs, that's a blast. Uh, there's lots of weird prizes for those of you who are just into the weird stuff. Um, you get to hang out with cool people. So if you're a hangout person, that's awesome. If you're an introvert, we promise we won't talk to you. Um, not too much. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we invite you out to really just come to the party and, and hang out with us. Um, I know some of you have been talking about getting a table. Well, now it's time to do it. It's this Saturday night, and uh, we'd love for you to get a table. Maybe you don't want to get a table, you just want to come yourself, that's fine. We have a clipboard at Connection Point where you can get some more information. It's coming up this Saturday night. You can sign up and come. Um, it's $10 a head or $100 a table, and, and there's going to be a ton of prizes. So for real, the money that you spend on that, you really will be helping support meaningful ministry. So join us in that effort, okay? All right. Um, I also, before we get into our sermon, want to call up um, Corey and Andrea and Emma. Looks like I get Emma this time. Come on up, you guys. Um, I've introduced these guys to you in the past, or at least Corey. This is the first Sunday I forced Andrea to make a public appearance. <laughs> and, of course, Emma as well. Um, Corey approached me around two years ago uh, for a conversation about church planting. And um, that conversation led to more conversations, which led to a friendship, which led to a partnership. These guys ended up coming in and doing a residency with Trailhead. Um, he led his team to become part of Trailhead. And, and over that um, last year and a half, um, they've been investing into Trailhead as we've been investing into them. Um, they have served us as, as we have served and equipped them to get ready to launch their church. And today, we get to celebrate, you guys, because last night was Heights Church first public gathering. They, they launched last night. So that's really awesome um, news. Worthy of celebration. You're not going to do your whoop, whoop, whoop thing? Um, yeah, you guys, this is a, a huge win. A huge win for Heights Church, a huge privilege for us. Um, only, you know, Trailhead Church is, is only three years old. 
we're really just out of the gate, you know, and, and we have the great privilege of actually um, helping launch another church, having a daughter church. I mean, what an incredible privilege to be part of that. And I wanted you guys to share in the celebration. God is on a mission to redeem and restore, to see people far from Him brought near. And, and now the Metro East has another gospel-centered, Jesus-loving, people-serving church. That's good news, right? That's good news. And, and, and people are going to be brought near to God and, and served and loved well through their effort. Um, so I want to pray for these guys. Uh, I also want to invite anybody who was on um, the Heights Church launch team or contributed like you, you, you know, weren't maybe official part of the launch team, but you were there helping get this thing off the ground. Would you guys stand up? Um, because I want to pray over you guys as well. Um, and um, awesome. So let's pray for these guys, okay? Father God, I thank you um, for the great privilege of being your children. And then uh, not just being your children, but then being able to be your ambassadors, to carry um, the, the great news of who Jesus is and what he's done into uh, this city um, for our neighborhood's good, for our neighbor's good, for the city's good. Father, I pray your rich blessing on Corey and Andrea. Um, I pray, Lord, that you will give them energy and strength as they labor in the field, Lord. Now comes the hard work of just plowing uh, a straight line. And so I pray, Lord, that you will give Corey a firm grip, a clear vision, um, and, and really a, a, a loud and a clear voice in casting vision for the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you will encourage Andrea's heart and um, just give them real intimacy and joy in their family um, and in their church. I thank you, Lord, for these uh, team members that have come around them, that have supported them, that are laboring with them. I pray, Lord, that you will make it very clear to them that the investment they're making uh, will pay rich dividends for your glory and for their good and, and Lord, for our city. Um, so I thank you for these guys. I thank you for this new church. And I just ask for your outpouring of blessing on them. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, guys, thanks. Thanks, Emma. All right, you guys, today we get to um, continue on in the book of Galatians. And as you could tell from our text, um, this thing starts out with a knockout punch, right? I mean, this is, uh, this is going from zero to 60 in uh, 3.5 seconds, right? This is normally the part of the letter where Paul would give thanksgiving. That was kind of the structure in an ancient letter, is you would introduce yourself, introduce who you're writing to, um, you would pass the peace, um, or in, in you know, the New Testament terms, the grace and peace, and then would come a thanksgiving, where, where you, you mention something that you're thankful about them. Um, and Paul totally skips that part of the letter. And, and instead of giving a thanksgiving, he utters a curse. And not just a curse, but two curses. I mean, he just comes out um, ready to, to, to fight. Um, and, um, and some of you, as you read through this, it may be a bit uncomfortable, honestly. Um, some of you may, might find Paul's style a little off-putting. You may think, you know, hey, is that... You might question if, if Paul's even acting like a good Christian here, right? Being confrontational, calling people out, uttering curses, starting a fight. It doesn't seem very loving, well, the reality is we have some very interesting cultural ideas about love that, that kind of we, we use as a screen to, to judge things. For the most part, we expect love to be soft and, and warm, um, politely reserved, and, and often we want it to be passively approving, <laughs> like a semi-senile grandmother who can't quite hear what you're saying, uh, but keeps responding to whatever you're saying, you know, with whatever makes you happy, honey, whatever makes you happy, Right? The Bible presents love quite differently. It presents love less like a doting grandmother and much more like a mother bear. 
it is real, and, and, and this love is, is warm, and it is affirming, and it is inviting, and it is also passionately strong, and when necessary, it is wildly protective. And the passion we see from the Apostle Paul in these verses, and in fact in this entire book, is an expression of his protective love um, for his spiritual children, right? These believers were, were his spiritual children. He had labored in Galatia. He had gone there and through his blood, sweat, and tears. Obviously, it was the Holy Spirit who planted the church, but, but, but he was the agent. He was the one there sharing it, and he, and, and he loved these people. They were his, his kids. And when he heard that they were being threatened, he responded like any good father would, like a bear, ready to protect his cubs. So take a look at verse 6 as we kind of dig into this text. In verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. All right, Paul first turns his attention to his, his spiritual children, right? He, he looks at his spiritual kids and he calls them out and he corrects them. And you can hear the exasperation in his voice. And honestly, I think it's the kind of exasperation that every parent understands, right? Uh, few things can test our patience like kids, right? It's like going to the grocery store and, and you, you tell your son to hold on to the grocery cart, right? Don't let go, right? And, and you just turn around for a moment to look at canned goods and pick out a few things. And when you turn back, he is, you, you know, your little angel is sprawled out, blocking the aisle, naked, and licking the floor. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you're like, are you kidding me? How did that happen so quickly? Right? What in the world? Right? When Paul says that he is astonished, he is shocked. That's what he's saying. That he's shocked after so soon after he was with them, so soon after he shared the gospel with them, so soon after he grounded them in the faith, they'd be tempted to turn away. He says that they were, in fact, deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ. See, this was no little problem. His spiritual children weren't just making a scene in the grocery store. They weren't just embarrassing the apostle. When he turned around, they were walking out of the store holding the hand of a predator. They were in grave danger. They were turning away from God by turning away from the gospel of grace. Now, what's all this uh, talk about the gospel? You know, it's kind of weird here where Paul's like, you know, you're turning to a different gospel, not that there is another gospel. What, what is all that talk? Well, here's the thing. The word gospel means good news. It was a word that was actually widely used in, in um, the ancient world. Um, now, the New Testament writers took that word and infused it with new meaning, and, and kind of made it their own. But, but there were other gospels out there. There were other good newses out there. There were other things that, that ultimately um, communicated good news. And what Paul is saying is there are different gospels. There are different things that we look to that are good news, right? That we consider good news. But there is no other true gospel. It's an exclusive claim that there is a true gospel that there's nothing else like it, that the gospel of grace is unique in being true. 
Now, that sounds really exclusive, and I know for some of you who aren't followers of Christ, this may be one of those areas where you're like, you know what, this is why I don't, you guys, man, you're so exclusive. You draw these lines. You say who's in. You say who's out. And then you get all hyper about, you know, evangelism and making people uncomfortable. And, and why can't you just, you know, be more inclusive and more accepting? And, and, and Paul really sounds rude in this passage. And, you know, well, here's the thing. Um, I get that. Um, but everyone has a gospel. Everyone's an evangelist. Everyone's exclusive. You're like, Steve, dude, I'm not even a Christian, man. I'm just here checking this thing out. What are you talking about? Well, I get that, and I'm glad you're here. It's a safe place to ask questions and and enter into a dialogue. It really is. But I'm going to challenge you for a minute. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. Everybody has a gospel. Everybody's an evangelist. Everyone's exclusive, even if you aren't a Christian, right? Every... um, Everyone has something they look to to be good news, and everyone's an evangelist of that news. You really just have to look at Facebook to see it play out, right? The marketplace of popular opinions. Facebook is full of evangelists sharing whatever good news is currently driving their passions, right? There's the good news of weight loss and fitness. And these guys fill their news book, uh, the news, news, uh, Facebook feed, thank you, with, with uh, images of, of cut and ripped bodies, oiled skin, right? Motivational quotes and, and subtle jabs at people that don't exercise quite the way they do, right? There are some people out there preaching the good news of the pleasure of the perfect cup of coffee, and they're constantly raving about the best coffee shops while they're subtly throwing jabs out at those corporate sellouts and that other garbage stuff people think is good, right? There's social activists who are seeking to evangelize and and bring uh, uh, people into community improvement projects or, or, or the latest social justice issue, whatever the latest flavor of the week is, right? We're constantly pushing that out, and, and we're evangelizing and trying people to, to get people engaged. You're like, dude, I, whatever, man, I'm just a Cardinals baseball fan, right? I'm no evangelist, really? Let's put you in a room with a Cubs fan. You know what I'm saying? And let's see how long it takes before you're passionately extolling the virtues of your team, you know? Our gospel is what we look to to make us happy. It's what we look to to improve our lives. It's what we look to to make us right in some senses, to, to, to justify us existentially in the world, right? Or to make you right before God, if you want to put it in those terms. We put our hope in it, and we look to it to do things for us. And every good news, catch this, you guys, every good news, every gospel is both inclusive and exclusive. Every gospel is both inclusive and exclusive. I mean, consider the most prevalent gospel of our culture, the gospel of tolerance and inclusion. I mean, how do you get more inclusive than having a gospel of inclusion, right? Basically, what you're saying is, I don't judge anybody, right? Who am I to judge? You have your truth. I have my truth. I can't judge your truth. You can't judge my truth. Let's just all be happy and get along, right? I mean, it's like, it doesn't get a whole lot more inclusive than that, right? Except for those who aren't tolerant and inclusive. You put somebody with the gospel of tolerance, the gospel of inclusion in a small room with an exclusive religious fundamentalist, say an old school Southern Baptist, they don't stay tolerant very long. When I look at the Facebook feed of my tolerant friends, I don't see post after post extolling the virtues of people who aren't like them. What I see is post after post attacking examples of intolerance. 
See, catch this, you guys. I'm not saying that their posts have no worth. A lot of times what they're posting is right. A lot of times I agree with what they're saying. My whole point is that every worldview, every gospel is both exclusive and inclusive, and everybody's an evangelist of their gospel. We all think that we have a good news that's worth sharing. I'm just saying that as Christians, we're very upfront about the fact that it's inclusive and exclusive, that there's an in-group and an out-group, and we want you to be in, and we believe it's worth sharing. We believe it's worth inviting you in, even if the invitation makes you uncomfortable, you don't want to hear it at the time, because it's something that changed our lives. It's something that has radically impacted us, and we are driven by that to share it with, with others, right? So we're just trying to be honest and upfront with the fact that, that um, our gospel is inclusive and exclusive, and we're inviting you to be part of it. And here's the thing, with our gospel, um, we just define our boundaries different than others. For followers of Christ, the boundaries of our gospel are defined by grace, not by creed, not by race, not by denomination or religious affiliation. The boundary of our gospel is grace. We just finished a series um, called The Invitation to Grace. We spent seven weeks considering the implications and outworkings of grace in our lives and in the church. And, 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 and at the heart of it, what we talked about is how Christians don't approach God through the front door of judgment coming to the throne of judgment. In the Old Testament, you would come to God by coming to the temple. And when you came to the temple, you could only draw so near. And you had to have in one hand your good works, and in the other hand, um, really, your, your sacrifice for where you didn't measure up. And the idea was you wanted to get close enough for a blessing, but not so close that He actually measured you up, right? Nobody, nobody showed up saying, man, I hope you give me exactly what I deserve, right? Because we know exactly what we deserve. So the idea was, I hope I can just do enough and, and maybe sacrifice enough that I can, I can get a blessing. And, and the whole point of the Bible, honestly, and the whole point of the Christian message is that when we approach through Christ, we don't approach through the front door of the temple. We don't have to earn our right to come into the presence of God, hoping that He won't really give us what we deserve. We don't even come through the temple's front door. We come through the back door. We come in through the family entrance. We come to the family quarters of God, and we get to sit with God at the table of grace. And at the table of grace, this is incredible. The all-righteous, all-holy, all-powerful, sovereign God of the universe looks at us and delights in us. As believers in Christ, that's grace. That's grace. We're not measured by what we've done. We're measured by what Christ has done. God doesn't sit there and focus on our flaws because all He sees is the beauty of His Son. When we come in Christ, we are covered in Christ. And we are brought to the table of grace. He loves us. He forgives us. And when He looks at us, He simply delights in us. I mean, how is this possible, you guys? I look in the mirror and all I see are my flaws. I look at my behavior and I see all the areas I don't measure up. I look at my heart and all I see is how dark the motivations are, how self-serving, how self-glorious, how wicked. 
and self-centered I am. So how is it possible that me, as broken, as flawed, as, as much of a mess up, when I'm doing the same wrong things over and over and over, I can't even seem to help myself, how is it that I get to come to that table? That I get to sit in the presence of God and have the sovereign, holy God of the universe look at me and delight in me. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because of Jesus. Jesus took our judgment. He lived a perfect life and he died a sinner's death. And when he died, he died for our sin. He took our judgment as our substitute and completely satisfied God on our behalf in regard to our sin, right? The penalty of sin was death. We find that at the very beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 3. God says, in the day that you eat of it, in the day that you rebel against me, you will surely die, right? And when Jesus died, he died as a consequence of our sin, not his own. And when he rose from the grave, it proved that God was satisfied. Not partially not almost, but absolutely, completely satisfied in regard to our sin. When Jesus rose from the dead, it proved that, as Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. What this means is that He forgives anyone who simply believes in Jesus. He doesn't expect you to fix yourself. He doesn't expect you to measure up. He doesn't expect you to work because Christ measured up. Christ worked on your behalf. So what he's saying is stop trying to fix yourself and instead rest in Jesus. Rest in His work to redeem and restore you. You guys, this is good news. (laughs) The God of the universe is inviting you into relationship. The God of the universe has thrown open a door widely and says, come to the table, not based on your merit, but based on Christ's. Come and be delighted in even as you come to delight. This is grace, absolute, unrelenting, unquestioning grace. G-R-A-C-E, I love the acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense, all of them. All of God's riches because He took all of my sin. Unmerited favor. Merited for me because of the worth of Christ. Unmerited by me because I never could. That's grace. God giving me what I don't deserve and could never earn. I have no right to grace other than the fact that God tells me I have a right through the work of Christ. And that allows me to come boldly to the throne of grace. Right? That allows me to come boldly knowing that even though I'm flawed, I am forgiven. It is forgiveness that frees us because it costs Jesus his life. You guys, that's good news. That's the gospel of grace. And Paul considers it worth fighting for. See, so here's the deal, you guys. Paul's anger in this passage isn't because there are other gospels, different gospels out there, other religious systems, other belief systems, other value systems. Paul was actually incredibly tolerant and loving toward other value systems and belief systems. 
Paul is described as the guy who would go into a new place, and to the Jews he became a Jew, and to the Gentiles he became a Gentile. In other words, he, he would actually do his best to not offend people, to respect people, to love people. So that the only offense left was the gospel itself. You don't get more tolerant than that. This is a guy that was showing up and saying, I have good news I want to share with you. I will do my best not to offend you in any other way than by simply sharing this, this truth that has transformed my life and I think will transform yours too. Paul loved people who weren't like him and was truly tolerant of the differences. So why is he so mad here? I mean, not just mad, like flaming mad. Why is he so mad here? Take a look at verses 7 through 9. He says, I'm shocked that you guys are turning to a different gospel, even though there's not another one, right? There's no similar one to it. But there are some, some people who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. They're not coming up with a different gospel. They're distorting the gospel, the gospel He delivered to them. They want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now catch what He's saying here. But even if we are an angel from heaven, notice He's not demonizing these people. He's not saying, man, they are the embodiment of evil. What he's saying is, if anyone, including me, if an an angel were to show up and preach a gospel to you that is contrary to the one that was delivered to you, take a look at what he says. Let him be anathema. That's the Greek word. Let him be accursed. Or to put it in a a very modern English translation, let him go to hell. Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him go to hell. See, these guys weren't coming from a different worldview. They weren't coming from a different belief system. They were trying to hijack the gospel. They were trying to come in behind Paul where he had labored and planted the gospel and hijacked that gospel and to turn it into a different gospel. They came in with a message, not of how Christ performs for them, but how they needed to perform for Christ. These guys were coming in with the purpose of troubling the Galatians because they had an agenda. They wanted to hijack this thing. I'm sure they didn't think when they were going there, I'm going to go trouble these people. I'm going to be a troublemaker. What they thought was, I'm going to go fix this thing. Paul's out there preaching this radical message of grace, this irresponsible message of grace. Man, you can't just be out there telling people about grace, right? What's going to happen if you tell people They're absolutely unconditionally accepted by God, regardless of their behavior. What's going to happen if you tell people God loves you, regardless of of whether you succeed or fail? God is not more glorified in your life when you succeed than when you fail. What happens when you show up and you preach that radical kind of grace, man? That's irresponsible. Put some guardrails up, dude. Right? Put the bumper bowling up. Man, the people are going to end up in the gutter with that stuff. They're just going to start sinning, and they're going to do all this bad stuff, and, and, and they're just going to use it. As, you can't do that, man. You've got to protect people with rules. You need to re- protect people with expectations. See, these guys didn't trust grace. I'd go far as to say, honestly, they hated grace. Grace was dangerous. 
Grace gave a radical, weird kind of freedom. You don't want to do that. You want people behaving. You want them between the lines, man. You want them measuring up. So they came in with rules. They came in to basically say, look, um, you need something more than grace. See, grace says, I love you as you are. You don't need to fix yourself. I'll fix you. Grace is the craziest thing ever. It's the most uplifting message ever given to mankind, right? Is there anything better for your soul than to have somebody look at you and say to you, I love you? I love you as you are. I love who you are. There's nothing you can do that will rob me of my love for you. And then take that and expound it to the fact that it is the sovereign God of the universe, the measure of all that is right and holy and pure and good. And he looks at you and says, you measure up. I love you. My delight rests on you and there's nothing you can do. Is there any more uplifting message in the universe? And for God to look at you and say to you, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I delight in you. Grace is radically uplifting, but grace is also radically humbling. Because grace says, I did for you what you couldn't do for yourself, and that's the catch. We don't like to believe that part. See, we like to look at grace as if it was like this, 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 this energy drink, right? It just comes in and boosts our effort. Boosts my effort of self-effort, my, my, my effort for self-control, my effort to improve myself, my effort to, to make myself better. Grace just comes in and, and is a sanctifying force that comes alongside my effort and makes my effort successful. And in the end, when I succeed, I get to say, look at me, I succeeded. I finally have self-control. I have finally matured. I, I, I. And when we fail, we say, look at me, I am so miserable, I am so broken, I don't think God can even love me. See, grace doesn't come in to sanctify our effort. Grace does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Scripture says that we're helpless in our sin. You know how the Bible describes us as actually being dead in our trespasses and sins. How much can a corpse do? You ever checked? I don't think they can do a whole lot. I think they're really good at rotting. That's about it. You can't ask a corpse to fix itself. You can put all the expectations, rules, and laws on it all you want. (laughs) It's not going to fix anything. See, God came to us and said, you don't need to be fixed. You need to be raised from the dead. You don't need an improvement project. You need a miracle. And I'm just the God to do it. The God that raised Jesus from the dead can raise you from dead and can forgive you and give you new life and new hope in the future. I can come in and do for you what you can't do for yourself. And when you become a follower of Christ, that doesn't change. You're no more able to change yourself as a follower of Christ than you were before. You're just as dependent on grace. You don't have the ability to do what only God can do. Grace is radically humbling because it says to you, you can't fix yourself. So I'll do it for you. Grace is incredibly humiliating to a prideful heart. It's beautiful to a humble heart, and that's why it's so hard for us. Because we're all steeped in pride. 
we all like to think that we just need a little help. We just need a little boost. Instead of recognizing that we are completely, absolutely hopelessly dependent on God. You guys, when Jesus said to his disciples, you can do nothing apart from me, he wasn't exaggerating. He meant exactly what he said. I'm the only one that can do in you what you so desperately want done. You want to be once again reunited with life. Lean into me and I will do it. And it will be all grace. You can try to change your behavior. You can try to manage your sin. And all you're doing is caging the darkness of your heart. And you know as well as I do, you can't change your heart. You don't have the ability. Only the grace of God can transform your heart. See, rules and regulations come in to conform behavior. Only grace transforms a heart. And that's the message of the gospel. You guys, God is not waiting for you to perform. God is not waiting for you to measure up. God is not displeased with you, follower of Christ, because you're not perfect yet. He doesn't expect you to be. But He does expect you to be as humble and dependent giving glory to Him for every success and leaning into Him in every failure, knowing that you are celebrated and delighted in at the table of grace. Grace changes your heart in ways laws never can. I have no doubt when these false teachers came into the church in their pride, they thought they were actually helping the message of the gospel out. They really thought by adding these rules and regulations, they were maybe adding a little bit of you know, responsible guidelines to this crazy, radical message of grace, right? Uh, so we're going to throw a few rules on there. This is what the Jews did in the Old Testament. And I'm not calling out the Jews because really it's a human condition. We all do it all the time. But they would do this. Like God gave them 10 rules, right? We call them the 10 commandments. One of them was, was um, you shall keep the Sabbath day, right? Holy. Now, the Sabbath day commandment, every commandment of God is actually an invitation, when God gives you a commandment, it's an invitation to intimacy and freedom, right? They're only commandments to us because they seem like they restrict our freedom. They're actually pathways to freedom. What God was saying with the Sabbath commandment was, was look, man, I created the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, I rested. And you know why? Not because I was tired, but because what I created was worth delighting in. I sat back and I said, it is good. It is very good. And I sat back and delighted in the goodness of my creation. I want you to do the same thing. I want you to create a pattern of behavior in your life where you will take time to simply rest in what I've given you and the bounty and the beauty and the freedom and the power and just, just rejoice in what I've given you. That's the Sabbath invitation. The problem was the, the Jews looked at it and said, man, you know what? God says we, don't, we can't work, so we better like really not work, you know? So like right there, that's work. So let's build a fence around that. That's, that's probably not even far back enough. Let's build another fence right here. Let's, you know what, well, let's just be safe and build another one right here. Now we definitely won't break that command. What they did is they turned the invitation into an onerous burden to the point where they basically had a law that said you couldn't spit on the Sabbath. Because if you spit in the dirt on the Sabbath, somebody following you might be tempted to come and, and snuff it out with their foot, and snuffing it out with the foot could be seen as digging, and digging is work. So you better not spit on the Sabbath. You see what I'm saying? It's a multiplication of laws. We put rules around God's invitations, and then we look at those rules, and we start treating them as if they were God's laws. 
Let me ask you a question. What's wrong with being more conservative than God? Isn't that just safe? Isn't that just being safe, being more conservative than God? Separating yourself, not just from sin, but from the appearance of sin and the appearance appearance of sin and from people that appear to be sinful, right? Pretty soon I'm like, way over here, look how far away I am from sin. I'm so conservative. I've out-conservative God, right? What's the problem with, with being more conservative with God? Here's the problem, you guys. You can't add to the gospel of grace without distorting the gospel of grace. Did you catch that? You cannot add to the gospel of grace anything without turning it into something that it wasn't. You distort the gospel of grace. It's like trying to improve water. Imagine waking up one day and being like, hey, I have this brilliant idea. I'm going to make water better. Water is necessary for life, but I think it can be even better than necessary for life, right? So water, H2O. You guys remember basic chemistry, right? little science class, elementary school, H2O, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. Well, oxygen is really good. I like oxygen. Oxygen is like valuable, like it's important for life. Let's throw some more oxygen in there. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's make it H2O2. Let's market it. It's even better than water, right? It's water on crack. H2O2 is the best thing in the world. Except that it's no longer water. H2O2 is hydrogen peroxide. It's the stuff that a bombardier beetle shoots out of its butt. No joke, right? The bombardier beetle, that little beetle, it's got two compartments in the rear end, and it shoots this stuff out at 212 degrees, and it fries whatever's near it. Pure hydrogen peroxide is incredibly dangerous. It's used in rocket fuel. You're thinking about that nice little thing you have on your shelf at home that you use to clean cuts. You know how diluted that stuff is? With water? <laughs> Straight hydrogen peroxide is like deadly. It looks like water. Now imagine that the maker of this great H2O2 stuff is out on, the, out on the playground giving it to your kids. Hey, this is improved water. Why don't you drink it? How are you going to respond? You're going to become a little protective? A little mama bear coming out of you? Right? You're going to be like, idiot, drink it yourself, right? Right? Protective? Here's the thing, you guys. You can't add to the gospel of grace without distorting the gospel of grace. You cannot add your religious behavioral expectations to the gospel of grace without changing it fundamentally into your own gospel, made in your image, made to glorify you. gospel doesn't need your help, you guys. And for some of you who are religiously bent, this is a crushing weight because you honestly hate grace. You're afraid of it. You're afraid of the freedom it gives. You're afraid of what it means. And for those of you who love licentiousness, this is just as terrifying because it means your heart is going to be gripped by a love that is more gripping and more transforming than anything you've ever experienced. And you're going to realize that you no longer live for yourself. You're going to live for the one who loves you and who you love. Nothing transforms you like grace. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. You guys are going to have a lot of time as we move through this book to unpack this idea. I'm really excited as we move through the book of Galatians because this whole thing, man, is, is just, Paul's lit up. And I think we're just going to get hammered with grace. And I'm looking forward to it. Um, it may make us uncomfortable. It may be hard at points. But, man, it is going to beat our hearts into soft submission to God. 
and put us in a place where we're receptive to his blessing instead of resisting it, where we're resting instead of working, where we're delighting instead of being driven by anxiety. You guys, what was happening in Galatia is happening today. It's interesting. Paul says that he was shocked that the Galatians so quickly turned astray. The book of Galatians um, was potentially Paul's first letter to the churches, one of the earliest documents in the New Testament. I wonder if by the time Paul got to the end of his ministry, he stopped being so shocked at how quickly churches turned away from the gospel, how quickly people's hearts turned away from the gospel of grace and transformed it back into a, a, a false gospel of works, of performance. Because I know that's what happens in my heart. I'm shocked at myself often how quickly I forget grace and start t- trying to perform for God. I start trying to perform for myself, honestly, so I can think more highly of myself, so I won't beat myself up so much, so I can, you know, I start performing for others, for you, that you might think highly of me. I'm not resting in the righteousness I have in Christ. I'm not resting in the delight of God. I am fighting and clamoring from a works-based theology that basically says, I will perform and I will measure up so that I can think highly of myself, others will, and maybe even God too. I find how quickly my heart runs there, and it shocks me. I think this letter is going to be good for us. So why is Paul so worked up? He's worked up because he's fighting for his children's freedom. He's fighting for grace. And these troublemakers, these predators that were coming into the church, were trying to steal his children from grace and kidnap them into a life of slavery to religion instead of the delightful freedom of relationship through the gospel. These guys wanted to alienate his children, his spiritual kids, from the love and the leadership of their heavenly father, their heavenly Abba, honestly, so that they could claim their love and allegiance for themselves, so that they could create disciples of themselves, people who looked like them and acted like them and had the same religious boundaries as them. And to that, Paul looks at them and says, you can go to hell because that's where you're trying to take my kids. Jesus died so that they might be set free, and I am here to fight for their freedom. I'm looking forward to digging into the rest of the book with you. For now, we're going to go into a time of response. I'm going to put some questions on the screen and ask you to pray and do some business with God, and let God speak to your heart. He will. We're going to take an offering, and then we're going to move into communion. As we take our offering, this is an opportunity for our members and our regular attenders to give um, generously, sacrificially, joyfully. Um, And what you're doing when you're giving, obviously, is funding the local church and helping the local church to carry this message of the gospel, this message of freedom and grace into the community that others might be set free. Others might hear an opportunity to be invited in so that lives can be changed, marriages can be saved, um, and, and good things can come out of it and we can Um, continue to move forward. So I encourage you, um, give out of worship and uh, give out of joy. If you're a guest with us, there's a worship response card in your bulletin. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to know you were here. Um, In fact, we have a gift for you out on the uh, Connection Point table. If you're a guest with us, feel free to swing by Connection Point. We'd love to honor you by giving you a gift. Um, Also on the worship response card, there's a place to put prayer requests. We pray over those every week, leadership team. So we'd love it if you have a prayer request, write it on there. Drop it in the basket. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. 
Um, we'll have leaders available to pray with you if, if you have an issue you want to pray about. Um, if you want to know how to take the next step of faith in your journey with Christ, those leaders will be happy to talk with you and pray with you. For now, let me pray for us. We'll go into a time of response. We'll take our offering, and then we'll share communion in a moment. Father God, I thank you that um, you are God of grace, that your posture toward us is not one of anger. Your face toward us is not one of judgment. You are not reserving your affection, waiting for us to measure up. Because we have all of your love in Christ, being clothed with the very righteousness of Christ. I pray, Lord, for those who have believed this message, that they might be freed into the infinite joy of being delighted in by an infinite God. I pray for those who are struggling with this, whether they believe it or not, Lord, that your Spirit would um, open the eyes of their understanding, that they might just see the invitation in front of them, the invitation to be loved, the invitation to be forgiven. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a good friend to those who don't believe, that we would um, simply seek to honor through conversation and dialogue and love those who think differently from us, even while we passionately share with them the good news that has so radically changed us. So, Father, I pray that you will be active here in ways that only you can and that you'll use this offering to, uh, to continue to advance the cause of the gospel, that we might be a blessing in the city and to this city, and we might continue to see the gospel move forward.